Chapter Three of the Adventures of Tommy Post Office: The True Story of a Cat, by Gabriel E. Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michael Fascio. Chapter Three: Tommy as Commissariat. In Robert Weston, Tommy seemed to recognize his earliest friend, and even though fond of the other men, never showed them quite the delicate intentions which he reserved for Robert. One day, when Mr. Weston failed to go home to his dinner at the usual hour, Tommy seemed quite disturbed. He could not understand it at all. All the other men went at stated hours, and were welcomed by Tommy upon the return. How he knew that they had been dining no one could understand, although he seemed to be perfectly sure of it. Perhaps his cat's sense of smell revealed it to him. But upon this particular day, as Mr. Weston sat at his desk, Noon hour came and passed without his usual departure for dinner. Tommy was disturbed, seriously disturbed. He jumped upon Mr. Weston's desk, warbled at him, jumped down again and ran towards the door, where he paused to look back to see if his friend would take the hint. He did not, and could not say to Tommy, I am not going until two o'clock today, and then I am not coming back. The hour crept along, and still Tommy fidgeted. Mr. Weston was too absorbed in arranging his affairs for a week's holiday to notice that Tommy was acting in a most unusual manner, rubbing against his legs, brushing against his sleeve, watching him intently with his bright, shining eyes. But at length the cat could stand it no longer. One o'clock had struck and his friend must surely be starving. With a more than usually prolonged and vehement, Meow, wow, wow, Tommy fled from the office. Mr. Weston looked up at that moment and caught sight of the vanishing black tail. He laughed and said, "'What's up, Tommy? Seems to me I have a hazy idea that you've been making some sort of a row about here for the past hour, but I don't get a week's holiday very often, and you must excuse my preoccupation.' Then he resumed his work. Twenty minutes later, Tommy came bounding through the outer office as though he were pursued by a wild animal. He was merely a black streak as he leaped along. The swinging door leading into Mr. Weston's office was closed, but a wit cared Tommy for that. He had seen that door opened and shut too many times not to know that a good bang against it would cause it to swing in the desired direction. The bang came, and Tommy vanished. "'Wonder what he's been up to now,' said one of the men. A second later a plump, still wriggling mouse lay upon Mr. Weston's desk. If he hadn't sense enough to know what it was dinner-time, Tommy had. The months slipped by. Spring had brought its balmy air and soft green foliage, summer its showers and sultry days. Not a fig cared Tommy Post Office for either. One day was much the same as another to him. Each morning brought him one set of friends who were sure to pet and feed him, play with him, and assure him that he was the finest cat in all Hartford. Each evening saw these depart to give place to another set. It was all the same to Tommy. As autumn days drew near, he began to put on his winter coat, and a truly splendid cat he was. His black coat was thicker and shinier than ever, his shirt front white as driven snow from many ablutions, and his stockings simply immaculate. And Tommy's expression had also changed during the eleven months spent in the Hartford post office. The funny little kitten face had given place to the wise cat's and he now looked at you as though he knew every bit as much as you did, and was well aware of the fact. If he had grown to be a vain, self-conscious cat, 
it was all due to the boys who told him twenty times a day that he was the handsomest cat in town. He was known throughout the neighborhood, and in the post office grounds, as well as in the office itself, was literally monarch of all he surveyed. And woe to the cat, or dog, which dared invade Tommy's domain. Dogs. Tommy was fully convinced that dogs belonged in an entirely different world, and should under no circumstances be tolerated in this one. At least, all dogs but Coco. He was, of course, an exception, and a privileged character because Robert Weston was his master. During Tommy's kittenhood, Coco had been his guardian, but Tommy had made haste to put kittenhood behind him, and to grow into a splendid big cat who needed no guardian whatever, but was fully capable of acting as guardian to some lesser creature, should he feel inclined to do so. He and Coco were friends. That is, they passed the time of day when Coco arrived at the office in the morning, and once in a while lapped from the same bowl of water, but these were concessions to politeness. Tommy could take care of himself very well indeed, and Coco was perfectly willing that he should do so, for Coco had his opinion of cats, and felt that his master would have all he could comfortably attend to if he paid the attention he should pay to the friends whom he had known longest. So Coco watched Tommy from the vantage point of his shelf above the sorting table, turned up his little snub nose a degree higher when Tommy gave way to an exceptionally wild kittenish freak, or politely crowded over closer to the wall when Tommy jumped up to take a siesta beside him, as, once in a blue moon, he would do. It was noon hour upon a glorious October day when Tommy's first adventure began to shape itself. The air was crisp and clear, the sun shining gloriously. Crimson and yellow leaves were fluttering to the ground from the great elms and maples which grew in the post office park, and Tommy was perched upon one of the window seats, watching them as they fell. Presently the temptation to play with them became too great, and away he went in hot chase after a particularly gorgeous one. Thither and yonder he darted after the fluttering bits of color, chasing up and down in pursuit of them. Over the lawn, down the paths, and even out upon the sidewalk, only to tear back again and dash up a tree in his mad frolic. But Tommy was too well fed to romp very long without a rest, and at length grew weary from his exertions. Next in order was a resting place, and this he proceeded to hunt up. A row of mail wagons stood backed up to the rear end of the office, the horses taking their dinners from their nose bags while they waited for the wagons to be filled with the outgoing mail. Small thought had these sedate animals for the flyaway cat racing over the grass. But when Tommy found himself in need of a resting place, he turned his attention to the wagons, for his sense of smell was keen, and those wagons smelt of the mailbags. Indeed, some of the bags were already in them, and Tommy's love of mailbags was not surprising. So into one of the mailbags he jumped, made his way to the front part of it, and in two minutes was fast asleep upon his old friends, the pouches. Then minutes or hours might have passed. Tommy neither knew nor cared. The first intimation he received that his bed was not a fixture occurred when a rude jounce aroused him from dreaming of a feast of fine mice, and at the very moment he thought he was about to pounce upon one, thumpity, bumpity, bang, went his bed, and Tommy was bounced upon his feet in a most unceremonious manner. It was well for the driver of that mail-wagon that he could not see through the wooden partition which shut in the mail-bags from the storm and shower. Could he have done so, he would have been frightened out of his wits, 
for Tommy's eyes were simply glaring green sparks, and his tail standing out as stiff as a bottle brush, as he stood bracing himself upon the mailbags, and wondering what upon earth would happen next. He learned very quickly, for Uncle Sam's mail wagons are not, as a rule, either new or modern. They serve many years, and they serve well. Nor are the horses which draw them noted for their youth and blue blood. They, too, have served. The horse which drew this particular wagon was no exception to his kind. He went galumping along, for everything must make way for such a glorious institution as the United States Mail, and the wagon behind him bounced and thumped along, too. Over the car tracks, around corners, rattling over a paved street, rolling along an asphalted one, in and out among a crush of vehicles it went, for it was late for the mail train soon due at the big railroad station, and the driver was trying to make up lost time. Tommy felt like a ping-pong ball, as he was bounced about from one side to the other of the wagon. To say that he was angry does not convey the very faintest idea of his state of mind. He was wild with rage, frantic with fear, filled from the tip of his nose to the very end of his bristling tail with indignation. Never in all his life, that he could recall, had he been treated with so little respect, or been so battered about, for he did not remember his journey to Hartford. Wild yowls of protest announced his state of mind to the world, but the noise outside the wagon drowned them. Up Asylum Street rattled the wagon, around a corner and up to the New York, New Haven, and Hartford Station. That horse knew what was expected of him, and in just about no time had whisked the mail wagon around and into its place, with the back doors up to the platform. The doors were unlocked and thrown open. Meow, row, row. A black and white streak, a flash of green lightning, a sable plume, and out flew Tommy. The man who held the door bounded backward, lost his balance, and tumbled heels overhead. Tommy merely used him as a stepping stone to higher things, for he was going somewhere and going in a hurry. The man scrambled to his feet, took one look at the object flying down the street towards Capitol Park, and cried, "'Lord save us, but it's Tommy Post Office, as I live. Now it's all me life is worth to go back to that office without that darned cat, but how under hiven am I ever going to lay hands on that streak of lightning?' But Michael Curran, veteran mail driver for the Hartford Post Office, need not have experienced any concerns about Tommy, for Tommy was quite capable of taking care of himself, nor could Michael spare time to chase after the runaway. His duty lay with the mailbags in his charge, and with those about to arrive from New York. The moment the big, panting engine drew up to the station, the heavy pouches were hurled from the mail car, caught up by the station hands, and hurried into the waiting wagons. But once his wagon was filled, and he took up the reins to drive back to the post office, Michael held a long conversation with himself concerning Tommy, and his possible fate in that big city. But we must follow Tommy, for he was destined to figure in another episode before he reached his old home, the post office, again. End of chapter 3